This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 14th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 10 through 28. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Have you ever offended someone? I assume by your laughter that means yes, you have. Have you ever been offended by someone? That's really what today's lessons are all about, is what it means to be offended. Today's gospel lesson is interesting. They left off the first couple of verses, which is too bad because it gives context to what is going on. The disciples were eating, and they had not washed their hands. That doesn't mean they didn't wash them with soap and water. It means they hadn't done the ritual washing prior to eating. Which, mean, which meant that they were unclean, because you're not supposed to do that. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples wash with unclean hands, unkosher hands? You know, they're challenging him on this. And so Jesus then tells this parable. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then he goes on. Now, very shortly... Um, the disciples come up to him and they said, Lord, did you know the Pharisees were offended by what you said? Now, the reason why they were offended was because they've been teaching everybody exactly the opposite of that. That you have to keep all these rituals and do all these things. So basically what he did was he took all of their authority, and they had a lot. I mean, people really respected them. They were considered to be the experts. Of scripture, they were the ones who knew things, and they had a lot of influence in a community. And he basically said, "They don't know what they're talking about." And the disciples, you can imagine, were very concerned about this, because offending people in power is usually not a great thing. If you don't believe it? Try offending your boss tomorrow and see how that goes. I mean, it can make it difficult. And in fact, we do know that along with the scribes and the Sadducees, the Pharisees ultimately conspire to have Jesus crucified. And so they come to him and say, Lord, did you know that you offended them by that? Now, it's interesting. What, what do you do if, if you, somebody comes to you and says, um, oh, did you know what so-and-so was offended by what you said? What's your reaction? How do you handle it? Get uptight? Hmm? Tough luck. <laughs> I mean, people have a lot of different reactions, don't they? Sometimes we get defensive. Don't I didn't do anything. You know, why are they getting offended? Who are they? You know, what do they? Why do they think they have a right? Sometimes, and I'd say it's framework. We feel, oh, that's awful. You know, I don't want them to be offended, and so we go. I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to offend you. And. It's interesting then to see Jesus' reaction to it. Um, Jesus' reaction to it is to say, any plant that's not been planted by my father will be uprooted. Who do you think he was talking about? And then he goes, they, and just in case that wasn't clear, they, the proverbial they, are blind guides leading the blind, and both of them are going to end up falling in a ditch. So the people that are following, you don't need to worry about them either. Because all of them are going to end up telling us they don't know what they're talking about. 
Now, do you think the disciples wanted to run back and tell the Pharisees, oh, we talked to the Lord about it, and here's what he <laughs> We probably want to get out of there now. It's interesting, though, how that happens. Is Jesus trying to be condescending to them? Are they blind guides? Telling people things that aren't really central to faith? Will things that the Father had not intended ultimately bear fruit? No. I mean, he was simply telling it the way things really are, wasn't he? Well, the disciples don't get the, the, the parable, and so he explains it to them, that it's, you know, all these evil things that come out of your mouth that, that really defile a person, not whether or not you've washed your hands. And so he um, goes on, and as they're going, he goes into the, what they call the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's up in the northeast end of Israel, up near the Mediterranean Sea. And there, a Syrophoenician woman, a, came, <clears throat> you know, a Gentile, is shouting at them, you know, because her daughter has a demon and she wants help. And there's a couple of things about that. One is that Jews don't associate with Gentiles, you know, Orthodox Jews, because that's, you, if you talk to Gentiles and, and mingle with them, you could become unclean by touching them. So you're not supposed to do that. But even more so, there's a lot of enmity between the two. There have been a lot of battles and wars that have gone on between the two. And then if all that weren't enough, um, Jewish men do not talk to women who are not in their families. You know, unless they're friends of family you know, who come over and they're specifically invited. They don't just talk to women on the street. That's considered untoward. Um, and so for, for Jesus to be there and for her to be shouting is an embarrassment to the apostles. I mean, they, they think, good grief, everybody's going to think they know this woman. And she's going on and on. And you, this is one of the proofs that they are actually are Anglicans. Uh, <laughs> Because they go to Jesus and say, tell her to go away. <laughs> if you notice, they didn't tell her to go away. They want him to do it. Because he knows how to handle people like that, right? And he's so much better at it than I would be. And so Jesus says to them, I was not sent to any, to the law, any but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You think the woman should have been offended by that? I mean, it's the modern equivalent of not my problem, man. But she's fairly persistent, and she runs and kneels down in front of him, and the, the word is gives obeisance. Basically, she slobbered all over his hand. She took his hand and kissed it and kissed it and begged and begged. Now, that really is unclean for a Jew at that time. I mean, it was really bad. And she says, please, please heal my daughter. She has a demon. And Jesus looks at her and says, it wouldn't be right to give the food meant for the children to the dogs. You think she should be offended yet? <laughs> I read a commentary in a sermon, actually, by someone, I think we were a Presbyterian or something somewhere, but in looking at how people were approaching this text. And, and the person started her text by saying, I have to admit, I'm terribly embarrassed that Jesus would treat somebody like this. <laughs> and I thought, boy, when we start getting embarrassed for God... That's pretty weird. I have to say, that didn't strike me as being true. What I looked at, I thought, that doesn't really sound much like Jesus. Another person said, you could tell that Jesus was really hacked off that day and having a bad day. <laughs> <coughs> I'm thinking, I don't know that that's really... 
<laughs> I mean, maybe it, it makes them feel better about it. I don't know. But what I thought, I thought, this doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Why is he doing this? I mean, what's going on here? There's something more happening here than, than meets the eye. And so she says to him, yes. Is that what you would have said, by the way, when somebody called you a dog? <laughs> but even the dogs get, eat, get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. Actually, they'll eat crumbs off anybody's table. They're not that picky. <laughs> she said they're master's table, which is what Scripture but they're not that picky. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, how great is your faith. Go, your daughter is healed. Now, why did he make her go through all that when he could have just said it at the beginning? Well, I think it has a lot to do with going back to at the beginning when the disciples came to him first and said, did you know that the Pharisees are offended at what you said? Now, they were offended because he disagreed with their teaching. On contrast to that, you have this, this Canaanite woman who is not offended when he calls her a dog. Matter of fact, she even agrees. That's right, but. <laughs> now, do you think Jesus knew what kind of faith this woman had? I mean, every indication of Jesus, if nothing else, is he could really read people very well. He knew what was in their heart when he saw them. He already knew what the woman's faith was about. And he knew that the woman, there was no pride in this woman that was going to stand between her and what was really important to her. What was really important to her? Her daughter. She didn't care about what people thought about her. That was irrelevant. She cared about her daughter. And so she threw pride to the wind. Forget that. I don't really care. They can think I'm a dog. What difference does that make? But he was my daughter. He was my daughter. And so Jesus knew all of this better, and the reason why he went through all this was to teach the disciples and us something about what it means to be offended. You see, all too often, we get offended very easily. We often get offended by things that people actually didn't even mean the way it came out. I'll give you two examples, although I wasn't offended. One I was offended at. First time that I can really remember being offended, I was probably offended before that, but I was this is when I was in high school. I was like a sophomore in high school. And um, we were taking computer programming. And for those of you who are younger than me, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal. But for me, it, I mean, nobody took computer programming. This was like a special thing. And we had uh, the old ticker tape teletype things that you would do. And you would have to write the program out, and then you would have to type it in, and then it would punch all these holes in this ribbon. And then you would attach it to the thing and tape all the different programs together, and it would run on a server at the University of Louisville. And then the next day, when you came back to class, you got to see if it worked or not. Well, I come back in. I'm all excited. It's the first program I ever wrote. And, and I get it, and, it and, and the computer is responding, and it says, indecipherable operand. <laughs> I said... I think I've been insulted by a machine. <laughs> now, did the machine mean to insult me? <laughs> Some people go, maybe. <laughs> machine didn't even know me, did it? No, it was simply stating a fact. It did not understand what the operator was saying. But I was highly offended by that. That stupid machine thinks it's so much smarter than I am. And 
it really took a few days, and finally my teacher went around saying, do you realize that you're carrying a grudge against a machine that you've never met? <laughs> before, before I finally went, well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it would be better to, to realize that you didn't do it right and fix the problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> the second thing happened to me when I didn't get offended was when I... Um, had my second surgery, and then afterwards I went up for the follow-up, and I, he said, how are you breathing out of the other side that they didn't have to redo? And I said, well, it's much, much better, but it's not as open as I, I mean, I really thought it was going to be like a whole lot, but, but it's good. And he said, well, I think it's about as open as it's going to get. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, I'm kind of surprised because I always thought it would be a lot. And he said, well, you've got an awfully little nose for such a big head. <laughs> I sat there for a minute thinking, though, <laughs> exactly what did he mean by that? <laughs> Until I realized that what he meant was that I have very narrow and small nostrils, but I have very large sinuses, because he'd already told me that. So, you know, the air that is going into those spaces is not nearly as big as the passage it has to go through to get there. But it took me back for a second. But I, I kind of wondered, should I be offended by that? I wasn't for sure. It becomes easy to be offended by what people say and do. But I decided a long time ago, Judy tells me all the time that I think they were putting you down. And I go, they were? <laughs> and she goes, yeah. I said, miss that altogether. I mean, and I have to tell you, I'm dense. If you really want to insult me, or offend me, be direct, because I'll miss the whole thing. I never know what happened. I, I mean, I'm not looking for it, and, you know, I just, I'm oblivious. I didn't used to be. I used to get offended by machines. <laughs> so what changed in that? How, how did that come about? Well, a big part of it is that I realized that, that if I let you offend me, if I take offense at what you say or do, then I am giving you power over my self-worth. I'm letting you be an arbiter over how valuable my character is. And quite honestly, I like you all. I don't like you that much. <laughs> the only person who gets to decide how valuable my character is is God, not you. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, I don't mind if you're a blind person leading other blind people into a ditch. I mean, it's fine by me. Well, what I learned was that when people come and, and say something, I just try to consider is what they're saying true. And if it seems like, well, yeah, that might be, then I try to do something about it. And if it doesn't seem to be true, I mean, at least I can't see it, then I figure, well, I can't fix what I don't understand and can't see. I may ask them some questions. But ultimately, I'm still not going to let them determine whether I'm good or bad. Only God gets to decide that. And it's amazing how much freer your life can be if you don't live out your life you know, being offended. You know, and we live in a world where everybody seems to be offended about everything. There was, somebody actually paid to do a poll to find out who was the most hated person in America. And I'm thinking, we got all kinds of money problems in this country, and you're paying for a poll to call people to find out who is the most hated person in America? You all know who the most hated person in America is? Casey Anthony, 
Now, how many of y'all have met Casey Anthony? <laughs> That's what's, who? <laughs> how can the world can she be the most hated person in America when very few people in America ever even know her? I mean, it's amazing. You know, I, and I heard some pundits on TV talking about the trial. Well, I'm offended at the smug way she would sit in court. And I'm thinking, well, you don't even live in the same state. Don't watch TV. <laughs> How odd is that? That people would be offended by someone they don't even know. <coughs> you know, if you don't believe people get offended by things that you don't even mean, try driving during rush hour. I'm amazed at how mad people get at me. Judy will tell you, and I'm going, what did I do? What did I do? I'm going speed limit. You know, I'm in my lane. I'm not going back and forth. You know, what was going on? Or you'll be sitting at a light, and the minute it turns green, somebody lays on the horn. Because you should have been prepared to step on it. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, wow, this poor person is giving me an awful lot of power over their life, and they don't even know me. Why in the world would they let me affect their emotions and affect their day that way. That's sad. We see in the Old Testament lesson another example. If you remember from last week, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers as a favor so they wouldn't kill him. Um, And what happens is he ends up becoming the grand vizier of Egypt. means he's the number two guy in the most powerful country in the world. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And his brothers come to Egypt because there's a famine, and they're all starving, and they come begging for help, and they come walking in. And he ends up saying, I'm Joseph, your brother. Now, do do you think that what they did would be offensive to Joseph? Somebody sold you into slavery, would that offend you? But Joseph's reaction is, it says, he fell on their shoulders and he wept with joy. Hmm? Oh, my wife's back there chanting. Um, you would think that they, you know, that they must have been stunned, because if you notice, it didn't say they wept. It said Benjamin wept, but he wasn't in on it. They didn't weep. They're probably going, I think I'm about to lose my head. I'm in big trouble now. But he didn't hold that grudge at all, did he? He invited them all down. Said, there's going to be a famine for another five years. You need to come down here. We'll take care of it. It'll be good. And elsewhere we see, he says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. And that happens a lot of times. So when people criticize you, You can take it as being, how dare they? Or you can look at it, see if there's any truth in it, and ask God, what do you want me to do with it? Because I can guarantee you, even if their intention is bad, God means it for good. And if you will allow him, he will bring good out of it. Would would Joseph have ever been the second most powerful person in the world if if they hadn't sold him into slavery? Never would happen. He'd have been out in the fields with a sheep. That had been the rest of his life. And yet here he was. What they had intended for harm, God had intended for good. All too often, that's what happens when we take offense easily. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you take offense at what somebody says or does, how does that affect you? Are you able to really function well? 
It consumes you, doesn't it? I mean, it just takes you over. And if you're offended enough, you can't stop thinking about it. Well, how does that benefit you? You've now given this person incredible power to destroy your life. And you just said, here, please take it. Now, the other side of that coin is, what about when you offend people? Have you all ever offended somebody and didn't even know? You know, I didn't mean it that way. How'd that work when you went, well, I didn't mean that. Let me give you an example. How many of you all feel comfortable walking up to somebody here at church and saying, you know, your breath is just really bad? (laughs) That many, huh? Isn't that interesting? Now, is that a crippling statement? I mean, should it destroy someone's life that they have bad breath? Because none of the rest of us have ever had bad breath, right? (laughs) And yet, the truth is, is that if somebody came up to you and told you that you had bad breath, you might be offended. At least that's what they're afraid of. Or you might be mortified. Whichever. All too often, just simply stating the truth, indecipherable operating, can offend people. But what would you rather have? Would you rather have horrible breath for the rest of your life that everybody's trying to avoid? Or would you rather that somebody said, no, your breath is really bad, you need to do something? I mean, it amazes me. I mean, I always sound, men, men will appreciate this, the women won't. Have you ever gone to an important business function or something and realized after you got home that your fly had been unzipped the entire time? Isn't that horrible? And you're wondering, why didn't somebody say something? And then you go, well, maybe nobody noticed. (laughs) What do you think the chances of that are? Would you rather that they told you? Would it have been embarrassing? But would you rather have had the opportunity to zip up? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same with criticism. When we go to someone and tell them in love criticism... All too often what we find is it's very hard because people don't like criticism. How dare you tell me that I did something wrong? Well, part of the problem is is we've gotten so bad at it, we don't do it anymore. And so the only time we can tell somebody what they've done wrong is when we are really mad at them. And then we are going to let them know how much of a low life they are. And we're shocked that they don't understand. We can't simply tell them facts. Here's what I've seen. We can't simply speak the truth in love. We wait until it boils up so much that it's just pouring out. And probably end it. And by the way, your breath is terrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we throw in 25 different things. And we do it not only to friends or acquaintances or business associates or something. We also do it to our own family. Rather than simply just speaking the truth in love. Now, Jesus' response in this offense was that what he said, he didn't say the thing about what goes into a person is not what defiles them, it's what comes out, because he wanted to offend the Pharisees. Now, he, he knew, obviously, that he was disagreeing with what they said, but he wasn't saying it so that you know, he could question their authority. He was just speaking the truth. And we see it today in all manner of things. I mean, 
public discourse has taken a nosedive. Political discourse, I don't think it could nosedive. I mean, once you hit the mud, it's kind of hard to go any deeper. I mean, people can't just talk about ideas anymore. Now we have to talk about whether or not you're a decent person. And running, and it doesn't matter, I mean, what party you're in. Well, everybody does it. I mean, it's common. And it's not just that. We do it with, with CEOs. Those people make too much money. Translated, by the way, really means they make more money than I do, and I don't like that. Um, or athletes or movie stars. You know, we often have a lot of opinion about people that we don't know who they are or what they do with it or what goes on. We haven't got a clue. But we can be very judgmental about it. And what's even worse is we do it in the Christian community to one another. Is it any wonder that people don't feel a great need to be in church? Are we offering them anything that is different from what they can get in the world? Or is it just another club to belong to? Would that we could have another day where Pliny the Elder, who was a pagan, by the way, um, and I say that lovingly, um, <laughs> he really was a pagan, uh, was a Roman elder who wrote about the Christians and what they did. And his comment was, but oh, those Christians, how they love one another. You know, that was the difference. They didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't, you know, sweeten it up and play nice all the time. They told people the truth, but they always did it with love. And they always cared about what the other person said. So the tricks to, to dealing with offense, whether you're the offender or the one who's being offended, is one, if, if you're the one who's being offended, think about it and think, is there any truth to what is being said? And if there is, do something, you know, say, work on it. And if there's not, say, well, I don't see a reason why I should give you power over my character. Does that where I'm a good person or not? You're entitled to your opinion. And, and if you're the one who's done the offense, don't be too quick to run, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to placate everything. Think about what your motives were. Why did you say what you said? You know, did you say it out of anger? Did you say it to be um, condescending? Or were you really just trying to fix a problem? And if, if it's the latter, then don't apologize for it. I mean, yeah, you can say, look, I wasn't trying to run you down. I was trying to, to help. And if they don't want to hear it, then they're the blind leading the blind into a ditch. But it all starts with us. Would you all like to see a more civil society? Would that be good? Did you all see the news this past week about the riots in England? Did you see why they're rioting? They interviewed some people out on the street who were rioting. This blew my mind. So, what, so why are you doing this? It's all the rich people's fault. I'm thinking, well, this is a stretch. How do you get for it? It's the rich people's fault that I'm out you know, burning cars and knocking in storefronts and stealing plasma TVs. I thought, gee, I wonder how much you're paying them to do it. And they said, well, what do you mean? They think that, that we don't have any power. We're going to show them. We can do whatever we want. We're going to show the government we can do whatever we want. And I thought to myself, what it really told me was here's a person who didn't believe they could do what they wanted. Because if they believed they could do what they wanted, they don't need to do that. 
But we've become an entitlement society, not just in terms of, you know, government things or, or, or pay or those things. We, we do it in our relationships. We do it with our church about how we treat one another. Perhaps Jesus would make a better model. And perhaps the woman who wasn't caring about her own character, who was only caring about you know, the purposes for which she was going out, who humility became the nature of the day, perhaps they can be a model for us. Because the truth is, is that it is what comes out of our mouth that defiles us. It's when we get upset or, or offended or insulted that we start slandering people, that we start justifying bad actions, that we start equivocating, well, yeah, you're not supposed to lie, but in this case, it's okay. And ultimately, we build for ourselves an illusionary world around us. And you know that illusionary world. You see it. It's the world where they built I-270 for me. And I don't understand why these other people are on the road during rush hour. It's the world where if I'm talking to somebody on the telephone with customer assistance, they are here for me. And I don't really care about their day or what's been going on. It's the kind of thing that ultimately turns us into nothing but self, selfish, self-centered animals and ultimately will cause us to fall into a ditch. So you can walk around in the illusion if you want, but then you're blind. Or you can open your eyes to a world the way God sees it. And you can open your eyes to a you the way God sees you and begin to live it out for the reasons and the purposes for which he intended. And realize that, yeah, I do dumb things sometimes, but I just get back up and I do it over again. I mean, I work at it again. And if somebody comes and criticizes me, I need to hear it. I may not agree with it, but I need to hear it. In respect that they had the, the nerve, not bad nerve, but the good nerve, to actually come talk to me about it, as opposed to talking to everybody else. If the Christian community could become that kind of witness to the world, then perhaps they might start talking about us again the same way that Pliny the Elder talked about them. If we can start talking to each other rather than out in the hallways or on the phone or through the Internet, if we can start dealing with our problems constructively, imagine what it would be like for a world to know there's a place I can go and be real. There's a place where I can go and even when I'm dumb, people will love me. They'll probably tell me I'm dumb, but, but they'll still love me. That's the hope that we have to offer to a world. A very basic thing. And I just want to leave you with a question. Are you doing that? Are you living it? And if not, does the sermon offend you? Amen. You've just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.